As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Inspirational Power Hour podcast with your host, Chandra Wise. Welcome to this week's episode. Now, guys, we are celebrating Juneteenth. Now, Juneteenth has taken on a new meaning this year, a meaning like never before, and I'm all here for it, and I'm here to talk about it, all right? So I have some very special guests that's going to be stopping by. We're going to be talking about Juneteenth, and we're also going to be talking about everything that's going on in our society, especially with social injustice, with policing, with this being an election year and much, much more. And I had so much to talk about that I actually had to break this up into two different episodes. So I'm incredibly excited to share our first guest with you. Our first guest is the director of the two museums of Mississippi, the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, as well as the Mississippi History Museum, Miss Pam Jr. Miss Pam has definitely been a staple in Mississippi culture, and I'm incredibly excited to talk to her about the significance and the history of Juneteenth. As always, make sure to follow online on Instagram, follow at Chandra Wise, on Twitter at Chandra Wise, and on Facebook, make sure to like the Inspirational Power Hour fan page. All right, guys, let's get right into this episode. It's the Inspirational Power Hey guys, you are listening to the Inspirational Power Hour with your host Chandra Weiss. And as you know, this week we are presenting a very special Juneteenth celebration of our show. And guys, listen, today I am incredibly excited to talk to this next guest. Now she has been um, working in the community for years and she's been such an instrumental part of preserving and presenting so much of our culture and our history. And she's here today to shed some light on Juneteenth and its significance. So, guys, I'm talking to none other than Miss Pam Jr. How are you, ma'am? I'm well. How are you? How are you? I'm fantastic. Listen, I'm so glad that you're taking time and having this conversation with me for our listeners. Yes. So, Miss Pam, as I mentioned, I first met you years ago working at uh, when you were working at another museum. But now, currently, and because I don't want to mess up your title, tell us, give us your official title. I know you're working with some museums in Jackson, Mississippi. So what's your official title? I am now the director of the two Mississippi museums, the largest museums in the state of Mississippi. 
the History Museum and the Civil Rights Museum here in Jackson. And I have been to both of those museums and they are dynamic. So congratulations on all of the work that you all are doing. Thank you so much. The team would love to hear that. Thank you. And so to this week, we're celebrating Juneteenth. Now, I know to to for you, Juneteenth is nothing new, but um, I really wanted to talk about this because I think in 2020, it's probably taking on a little more heartfelt significance to our community. Um, yes. Would you be surprised how many people still don't know exactly what Juneteenth is, Miss Pam? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because, uh, you know, at, at one time, people weren't really celebrating it. We were so busy doing the civil rights movement that it kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of moved a little bit uh, uh, down at the bottom of priority listing. But before then, when this amazing unofficial holiday came about in 1865, June 19th, when General Granger came to Gaffeston, Texas and said, you're free. That was a, a momentous moment for people in Texas. Now, I always go back and want to note this before we go into Juneteenth, that May 8th of 1865, Columbus, Mississippi, the federal troops came into Columbus, Mississippi, and told those enslaved people that you're free. So it even got to Mississippi and Columbus before it even got to Texas. Wow. Yes. And a lot of people don't know that. They call it Ada May Day. And they celebrate uh, Ada May Day in Columbus, Mississippi. They, they, they talk about that. That was important that I always say May 8th of 1865. You know, there's a lot of history you can go through with a lot of years and a lot of generals and talk about that, but I'm going to keep it really brief. But then let's get to June 18th when those federal troops came into Galveston, Texas. And on June 19th, uh, the general, he made that proclamation that you're free without going into order with order number three that, they, that he read off to, to these enslaved people that you are free. And so that was important because then for them that is Freedom Day. They realize that you don't have to work on the plantation, that you can go out as skilled laborers. To, because, of course, I always say, you know, these Africans, they built this country. These Africans built the United States of America. They built it. And so they have rights. And all the privileges, of course, they were taken away after Reconstruction and 1890 Constitution that was written. But that day of freedom will always be there for them, will always be there for us. So I not only look at uh, June 19th, but I also look at May 8th. So, you know, with everything that's going on across our nation right now, let's talk about the push for a lot of the Confederate monuments that we have, not only in Mississippi, but across our nation. Let's talk about this push to have those removed. I'd be really interested to know your thoughts about that. I think that what's going to happen now in uh, 2020, the 21st century, is that now we're really looking at ourselves. You know, I've always been a, a proponent for my history and knowing where I'm from and understanding my people. I think now that we can sit down and have those conversations, and people are interested now in us, but are we interested in ourselves? That's where I'm going to go with this conversation. Mm -hmm. Are we interested in knowing who we are 
I'm from the Tikar people, and so knowing that I'm from the Tikar people, these are griots, that these are storytellers, these are creative people. I'm falling right in line with who I am. So I think we need to understand our DNA so that when people are interested in talking to us about who are you, then I can talk about my lineage. I always tell people, other folks, they know about who they are. We have no idea who we are. So it's time for both of us, both all of us, to learn about each other and then bring that thing as one because we are from each other. And that if we do that, how strong we can be. There's a lot of monuments and things that need to come down. And, yes, and one day they are coming down, I'm sure of that. But right now, I want us to come together and to galvanize ourselves, to be strategists, as the veterans of the civil rights movement tell us. Organize, form committees, come together, because there's work to be done, and we need to continue the work. We don't need to start with marches. We need to continue the work, because there's more work to be done. I'm coming out the day after and saying, where's everybody? Where's everybody? What are you doing? How are we coming together? Are we bringing in some of those old folks who were veterans of the movement? Because what they did, it did work. So it's the strategizing, it's the mobilizing, it's the organizing that I'm not seeing. And I want to see that more. So you're absolutely right. So guys, make sure that you stick around because today, later on in the show, I'm actually talking to the Mississippi State Director of the NAACP, Corey Wiggins. And we're talking about that because we definitely need, you know, there definitely needs to be a day after. We need some next steps because I think this moment is too important. It is. And and just, you know, Martin Luther King's last book that he wrote is Where Do We Go From Here? That's where we are right now. And if people wanted to learn more about Juneteenth, is there a a specific resource that you recommend? Well, no, I just, you know, as I tell everybody, uh, Google is amazing. Just put in history of Juneteenth and they'll be able to get all of it, anything that they need to know. And how people are celebrating. Uh, They're actually celebrating in Washington, D.C. Director, Secretary uh, Lonnie Bunt is a part of the celebration with the Smithsonian. There's a lot of activities that are going on, and I hope that I'm out there in it on on this weekend. Thank you so much, Ms. Pam. We appreciate you and all of your work. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pam Jr. Make sure to check out the two museums of Mississippi when they open back up. Make sure to go in and support. All right, up next is my conversation with gospel recording artist Ted Wynn. Ted has been extremely vocal about social injustice and about the role of the church in that fight. So let's get right into my conversation with gospel recording artist Ted Wynn. Hey guys, you are listening to the Inspirational Power Hour with your host, Chandra Wise. And this week, guys, we are continuing to celebrate, you know, this is Juneteenth, but I think right now this year, Juneteenth is really taking on a very heartfelt, um, a heartfelt purpose for so many reasons. But right now I am incredibly excited to talk to this young man. He is so knowledgeable, so talented, so well-informed and he uses that to inform others and uses his voice in such a significant way. So guys, today I have on the phone with me, my brother, Ted Wynn. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing as well as I can. How are you? <laughs> I'm I, Listen, all things considered, I'm good. I'm blessed. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you. So Ted, listen, we, so much that we could talk about, but I'm just going to kind of jump in here a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have always been so vocal using your voice on issues that affect us each and every day. And I've always appreciated you for that. We know this, it's difficult to make generalizing statements, you know, about the church, quote unquote, the church. But I think you and I both have been doing this long enough that I think we can have some really honest and hard conversations, right? So the black church has a history of being in the forefront in the fight for civil rights and, and social injustice. So my first question, is the 2020 black church living up to that legacy? Absolutely not. Um, the civil rights movements and justice movements that we have seen historically have been based, uh, birthed rather, out of our faith traditions, right? So we have seen them come out of churches and religious movements. Black Lives Matter is the first significant civil rights movement that is not born out of church. And I think that is indicative of the fact that Black Church is not leading this conversation. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons as to why, but that is the truth of the matter to your question. Um, like the Black Church is not living up, to, at least in my opinion, to where it should be uh, in leading these issues, these conversations. Now, that's, that's an outstatement, you know, and I think if we're honest about it, we have to ask ourselves, why do you, why do you think that is? Well, I think that in many ways, um, coming into, um, you know, the year 2000, uh, just a lot, of, a lot of what has happened is an, what I call an assimilation to whiteness, right? And so we had the civil rights movement. That's the late 60s. That put that in context. And so now we've gone through the 70s and we've gone to the 80s and you've got the, you know, war on drugs and, you know, there's crime bills being written and things incarcerated. Um, uh, a lot of black and brown people. And I think what happened is we start being influenced by a prosperity gospel. We start being influenced by um, the entrance of the mega church and thinking more about numbers and affluence than the substance of um, the justice issues that our people were still contending with. And so you also, also started having these anecdotes outside of church 
with you know Oprah Winfrey and you know Michael Jordan and Will Smith and et cetera. So you had black people who had begun to do well, had begun to get um, acclaim and and have a certain level of influence. And so a, a lot of times people use those anecdotes as you know some example of how far we've come, how much progress we've made. Then oh my God, we had the the, the historic election of Barack Hussein Obama, and it's like racism is dead. You know, <laughs> like we're in a we're in a new era. We're post-racial, and none right. of that has ever been true. And I think that we've, we've failed our people by not continuing to have honest dialogue and look at the data points as they, as they were and are about where we are as a people and what the problems still are in 2020. Because they, they're, they're obviously still here. Mm-hmm. At, at our church, the, the other week of creative team, uh, Kirk Franklin's strong God for us to do, right? And uh, they they said it's gonna take us two weeks to you know get it to get it together. You think that'll be too long? In my mind, I was like, because I know how our attention spans are. I was like, well, two weeks may might be too long. But they did it this past Sunday. The sad part is, is still happening, and it was still just as relevant as it was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. weeks ago. Well, this, this is the truth of the matter. Uh, I, I'm doing a social justice EP, and one of the things that I did was I, I recently. Um, covered Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues. That song was released in 1971, 49 years ago. I did not have to alter one lyric. Everything that he said then is still true today. And even if we, you know, if the focus shifts, you know, we know America, so we know that can happen. It won't, it, I mean, you know, you can have, you have like people saying, you know, Black Lives Matter, you have it painted in the streets, you have, you know, uh, people having these these conversations. You have corporations giving colleges money and people's money and organizations money. Like you cannot undo racism in a week or a month, right? Right. Like this is a four hundred and one year process of intentional, systemic, precise, um, sophisticated construction of systems that have continued to adversely affect Black folks in this country. So, so you have to do a lot of work to deconstruct that and then put corrective measures in place to, quote, unquote, right those wrongs. So, you know, say if they didn't do Strong God this week, I promise you they can still do it in 2022, and we'll still be, you know, hopefully we'll, we would have made some progress, but it won't, we won't be at, you know, in some, you know, equal place by then. So do you feel, first of all, let me ask this, do you feel that some artists, specifically some gospel artists, are hesitant about being vocal about certain issues because they feel it might... Uh, damage their careers or hurt their careers? Yes, I do. I think I think that some people are, you know, are definitely apprehensive about um, having these conversations because they don't want to upset people and they are assigned to labels that have shareholders and, you know, white executives and people who, and some black people, who are just not championing these conversations, who are just, you know, feel like it's you know, not what they should be talking about. I think that's some people. I don't know that it's most. I think it's a few. I think the other part of that is there, you know, a part two of that is it's just not been a part of the culture. I mean, we just, you and I just, just talked about that, like, black church is not leading in these issues. So why would black artists be, you know, leading in these conversations? It's not, it's not even been a part of black church culture, at least in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Just not, it just hasn't been. So it's not even something that I think a lot of them in their defense would even really think about. Um, and then thirdly, you have those who live in dual spaces, who are black gospel artists, but still, you know, have a little bit of, of 
uh, resonate to some degree in the CCM world and have some of those friends and platforms that, you know, I'm sorry, some of those pastors who are friends and they, and they have access to some of those platforms. So I think that, that makes some of those people shy away from having these conversations as well. And speaking of conversations, we've seen some conversations go all the way to the left this week. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, Ted, Ted, how, how can, listen, how can we do better in these conversations? I think, I, first of all, I do have to recognize the attempt to have these difficult conversations, especially across cultures between whites and blacks and, you know, uh, and all of that. But how can we, how can we, how can they be more impactful and more effective? Well, in a, in a word, honest. And the problem with these conversations that are being had is that they're not being had. Well, first of all, let me say, let me set this context. If you are a white pastor who, especially if you have a, 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 a significant amount of black members, followers, parishioners, what have you, um, and you want to have a real conversation, a real honest one about uh, racism and, you know, these justice conversations we're having, if we're going to take you seriously, you need to have them with, with either Black pastors who have been out front about these things, like the Jamal Bryant, like the E. Dewey Smith, who very much, uh, Freddie, Dr. Freddie Haynes, who've been having these conversations, or mm-hmm. the Black thought leaders who actually occupy those spaces. Like, don't tell me you're serious about having a conversation, but you're having it with people who don't even talk about these things, who are not educated on these things, who cannot, and also people may not feel empowered in those moments to speak truth to power. One of the things, to your point about being an independent artist, is I don't feel beholden to any interest of anybody. And that's why I'm going to always say what I feel like is the right thing to say. I'm going to speak... Um, in ways that I feel like are honest about our plight because I live and see these issues as a person who has lived in the skin all my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very concerned about, you know, uh, every marginalized group of people to be candid, but, but in this moment, I'm talking about black folks. And so I'm very passionate about these issues. I have eight nephews. I have four nieces. I have four sisters. I think about them all the time when I'm having these conversations. And then people who I don't know. I didn't know Rashard Brooks, but I cried watching his cousin talk about him as a human being because I felt that moment. And so I think that we have to, if we're going to have these conversations, they have to, again, at the core, be honest. And people are challenged in many instances by having honest dialogue because you have white pastors who say, look, I have black members. I invite black artists on my platform that has to mean I'm not racist or complicit. And that's just not true. It's not true. Mm. And we have to be honest about that. And they have to, right. I said something on my, on my page recently. There are three kinds of white people in America. You are either a racist white person, you are a, person, a white person who is complicit in racism, or you are anti-racist. And an anti-racist person, which is who we need all of you to be, is someone who is vocal and actively working to deconstruct racism. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. what we need you to be. Not just, not just like I got black friends. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. Again, listen. We I'm talking to recording artist Ted Wynn. and Ted, you are definitely uh, one of our thought leaders in this space. We appreciate you so much. Again. Um, so I have a couple more questions. How? So let me ask you this: How can the black? Ch- we we talked about the black church, but how can creatives and artists play their part in this fight for social injustice? 
Um, I think that people, everybody has a, a level of influence, a sphere of influence. I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care if you got, if you have a Twitter feed and you got 10 followers. That's 10 people you have some degree of influence on or you can get a message to. And part of what I think we, we can do, even if we're not doing music that reflects the time, we can talk about, you know, certain issues. We can talk about our own experiences, right? We can, we can, we can um, point people to different organizations to support. If we want to give money to, you know, to the, to uh, HBCUs or, United Negro College Fund or uh, Color Change or, you know, NAACP or wherever you want to, however you want to do it. If you just feel like, look, let me do my part is I'm going to go out and find, you know, somebody who needs mentoring or who needs a pair of shoes or, you know, you can do whatever you can to help us all move forward. But to be honest about where we are, I think, is, is the most important thing. And um, everybody's not an advocate, right? And so I understand that, and I don't think everybody needs to be. Um, but whatever it is that whatever it is that you feel, you know, is important to you, however you feel led to do uh, whatever that thing is, I think you should just make sure that you do that. And I think that the challenge is when people don't do anything or don't say anything, um, and more egregious is when they are defending uh, <laughs> people who are not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. saying the right thing and handling this properly. You know, like the the Louis Giglio conversation uh, mm-hmm. with the CEO of Chick-fil-A and Lecrae. And, and there were a lot of people very disappointed in how that played out. Um, I was, you know, incensed by the things that Louis Giglio said. Um, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was really troublesome. And a lot of people were upset that Lecrae didn't say anything, just kind of nodded his head. And he did address that in a later post, you know. And I'm not here to critique Lecrae or right. police black people. That's not, right. that's not my thing. So what, right. what I am saying is that what Louis Giglio said was problematic. And so even if McCray didn't say anything, I said something. Other people have said something. And so those of us who see those things have to be willing to speak truth to power and, and you know, call it, and pardon my, my pun, but yeah, my, my analogy, but we have to be able to call a spade a spade, right? If you see something and that's what it is, then just say this is what it is. So we know what we're dealing with. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, one way or another, there's going to be an after this. And, you know, my personal prayer is that we don't go back to exactly how things were because how things were, it wasn't working, right? What does after this look like for you? And and, and when I say I'm talking about after we've kind of gone back to a normalcy from, from the COVID and, and gotten back to, you know, what we know as normal, how do we continue this fight? Like, what does this look like for you? Um, I think that you, for me, this is a, I've been really candid with you. This is something, this is a fight that I think extends beyond our lifetime. I, I, I told somebody I was excited to be alive in this moment and, and felt a little emotional about, you know, likely not being alive to see the full equity of people realized in America. Again, we're talking about 250 plus years of slavery. We're talking about 100 years of Jim Crow. We're talking about a fight for civil rights, right, as didn't happen until the late 60s. And so we're we're only about 50 something years removed. Here's the, here's the thing that gives hopefully hopefully helps your listeners to have uh, crystallize this moment. I am the first. My mother was born in 1952, right? I am the first person in my family, my generation, born with all of my rights. Wow, me. Not my mother, not my grandmother, me. Because my mother didn't have all her rights in 52 when she was born. 
That didn't happen until she was in high school. And so when wow. we really set that context, um, I think we really could help. It helped us to, uh, to really understand how deeply entrenched this is and how much work we have to do. So I think what I want to see after this is continued conversations around how we can deconstruct racism, how we can create spaces for black equity, um, and, and just give black people the equal footing that we deserve in this country. And that's going to take a lot of work. I mean, I, I honestly feel like it doesn't happen without some form of a, a reparations plan, um, mm-hmm. but it's going to take a lot of work. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean just give us a check either. Like it's, I have a multi-pronged one, you know, and people who follow mm-hmm. me can <laughs> check it out. But it's, it's this work we have to do. So it's going to take a lot. And we got to, you know, we have to, you know, really be um, committed to the process. And, again, not just for ourselves but for the generations following us, which is what, which is what our foreparents have always done. You know, when, when black people were fighting to be uh, in the Civil War to try to remove slavery, they knew it wasn't going to be equal the next day, but they knew that there was a day that, that Chandra was coming and Ted was coming and other people were coming. You know, when Dr. Mm-hmm. King was out there and people were writing and the Freedom Riders and, you know, people who were SNCC and all these SCLC and all these organizations were out there fighting and marching and John Lewis was getting beat crossing the bridge, they knew that other generations were coming. And so we have to have that same commitment to future generations to fight for um, the things that, that they deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, again, this is Ted Wynn. He's talking to us as we are continuing this conversation. Ted, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your, your, your voice and your input. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. I remember after the uh, premiere of the Clark Sisters movie on Lifetime, um, mm-hmm. and uh, someone made someone tweeted something about that scene where Dr. Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, where she was confronted with the, um, with the council of, of bishops from the Kojic church. And, and I think it just kind of started a conversation just about for, for lack of a better word, I'm just going to kind of say the, the culture of, let's just say maybe misogyny in the black church. Can we say that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. And I think you tweeted something, I tweeted something back, but in, 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 t- in lines of having that conversation, and that's definitely a conversation that I would love to have um, sooner than later, because that's another thing mm-hmm. that I think we need to address in order for, for our church to really realize its full potentials. We, we got to unpack a lot of stuff. We really do. I mean, I mean, patriarchy and sexism um, and misogyny and, and misogyny war to be specific about, you know, the ways in which we treat black women, um, are very important conversations that we have definitely don't have. I mean, it's so sexism and, and, and racism work hand in hand, and they are so normalized in our culture that we don't even think about them. Like we don't even, we're not even alarmed that you could turn on, you know, your radio or any streaming app and hear women demeaned in the music. Mm-hmm. We don't even think about it, you know, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to upset the audience too much, but like, we don't, like, I am such, so, so what happened is, very quickly, like, I, I've been reading these books of, uh, from, from, from uh, a few authors who define themselves as, as womanists, mm-hmm. and they moved away from the term feminist, because feminist has a white connotation to it that did not, and the feminist movement didn't really include black women, and mm-hmm. so they have a different idea about, you know, what that looks like, and so, um, I consider myself a womanist as a person who is, you know, who is feverishly fighting for the equity of women as well. 
white, mm-hmm. specifically black women in this conversation. And I think that sometimes the power dynamics that are informed by a Christian narrative um, and then and then enforced even more about by, by white supremacy just really disempower women. Mm-hmm. And I say, I may ask somebody this before, and, I, and my friend was thinking about it. I said, like, if you're a woman, and you're a woman, right, and you are, mm-hmm. you're, you're dating a guy, and you guys have been dating for three years, and you have a great relationship, and you feel like, hey, this is going to lead to, you know, what we just, you know, we're going to get married, and we're going to all that. That woman, in, in a traditional context, does not have the power to move that relationship to engagement. Mm-hmm. She has to wait until he is ready to propose to her, mm-hmm. and then she responds yes or no or whatever she's going to. Now, she doesn't have to marry him, but my point is that's how the power dynamic is set. Here's the other mm-hmm. thing. As a woman, I'm going to make, I'm going to make some assumptions and, and support this conversation. Your last name is Wise, yeah? Yes. Whose last name is that? That was... It was my mother's maiden name, which was my grandpa, my grandfather's name. Okay, so the name came from a man. Mm-hmm. If you get married traditionally, you're going to change your name to your husband's last name. Mm-hmm. So women in our con- social societal construct don't even have a, their last name. Right. Every the way you are identified is through a man's name, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get too deep in the weeds, but this is how I think about these things, and it is why in a lot of Latin culture women keep their last name and they hyphenate it. So they don't lose their kind of maternal or matriarchal identity. So I just think that the way we think about these things, we, we have to have some really deep conversations, to your point, at a, at a certain point in time, just about the, the equity that I feel like women deserve, the equal power that women have, because I don't see women as lesser human beings. Mm-hmm. They're equal human beings. They have the same ability and aptitude and intellect and determination and goals and everything as a, as a male does. And so I just think that we have to reimagine what these things can look like so that when we're talking about relationships in that way, we're talking about partnerships and not hierarchy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. I know some I, folks might not like that, but that's how I feel. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's okay. You know, I think, again, I think it's time that we do have some of these difficult and some of these challenging you know, conversations around all of this stuff because it it's it's still there. It's still so deeply rooted in the culture of our church, which affects you know our home, our society, everything. You know, and um and and even the way we teach our young girls. You know, um, yeah. I, I, over the years, and 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 we're not gonna. I'm not gonna go into too much on the air right now. But over the years, you know, I, I've had to have some really difficult conversations with some people about, you know, just some things I've, I observe and, you know, Hey, if, if this, if this is what we're doing, then, then, because there were moments for me when I'm like, okay, if this is who we are, I need to make a decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I've had several of those moments, you know, but I, I'm thankful that I was in a place where my voice was heard, you know, and where some things were rethought and we were able to kind of change it and do some things differently because, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot to undo, I believe. We have a lot to undo. There's a young artist I just discovered. Her name is Charity. She's a young um, R&B artist from uh, Detroit. I mean, but not if, if your listeners are, you know care about that kind of music and are into it, it's a it's a really wonderful project. And she really constructs uh, deconstructs a lot of these ideas. She has a song called um, Cake, which really speaks to 
the fact that there are more, there should be more celebratory moments and goals in a woman's estate than just getting a wedding cake. Mm. And the way that she really breaks it down, she talks about how we groom young girls from, you know, very, very young, or girls from a very young age to be brides or wives and not necessarily to be individuals. It's, I mean, it's, it's just really fascinating to listen to how she talks about it. And again, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I definitely feel like that's more, we need to have more of those conversations at a point in time. Okay, so Ted, I'm going to have to have you back and we, we're going to have to kind of delve into that a little, a little <laughs> more. <laughs> okay, I'm here for it. Again, thank you so much just for being vocal, for using your voice, um, because it is so important. I think a lot of times when we do that, we you know, give people the permission to do the same even before we realize it. And I think you have done that for so many other people. So thank you so much. I will continue to keep you in my prayers. Tell everybody how they can follow you, get your music, support you. Um, you can please, if, you, if you're on social media, please follow me. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Um, it's Ted Wynn, T-E-D-W-I-N-N. Um, and, you know, shout me out, comment. I love, you know, civil discourse. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that, um, but I, I definitely want to continue to use my platform to highlight these issues. Uh, one of the things I have found out um, that's really uh, fascinating is I know a lot of people who follow me don't really look at a lot of traditional um, media. So sometimes I'm posting stories that people say, hey, I didn't even know that happened. I hadn't heard about that. And that's one of the reasons that I continue to use my platform you know, not just to talk about, I don't even really talk about my music that much anymore, but just really talk about what's happening in, our, in the world um, and things that I feel like are important for people to be informed about. And and he's right. He doesn't talk about his music enough. Ted Wynn has one of the greatest voices <laughs> ever. I know I'm Thank serious. You. One of my favorite vocalists ever. You, um, you really do. And not only your voice that you use to, you know, uh, to highlight social justice, but also your, your, your gift, your instrument is just amazing. I thank you so much. Thank you I, again. I appreciate you for, you know, for saying that and for sharing, uh, the, your platform and for giving me an opportunity to speak to your listeners, um, about these very important issues. So thank you for, you know, just creating this space to have this conversation. It's very important. Thank you so much for checking out my conversation with Pam Jr. and with Ted Wynn. I hope that you have been informed and I hope you've been empowered for us to continue this fight for social justice and for us to continue to celebrate our culture and our history. All right, make sure to stay connected online on Instagram and on Twitter. Follow at Chandra Wise and on Facebook. Make sure to like the Inspirational Power Hour fan page. As always, I tell you to stay focused, stay encouraged. Remember that we're blessed to be a blessing to somebody else. Have a good one, and I'll see you next time. It's the Inspirational Power Hour. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.